Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, it's us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jimmy Clark. Welcome to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Yeah, there's a lot going on in national politics. Uh, we're now living in the wake of the second Democratic debate, which really was four installments of ten Democrats debating the issues. Um, I actually thought last night's debate was, well, despite some of the crazy policies, enjoyable. Um, and I'm a big fan of Tulsi Gabbard, but that's not the topic for now. <laughs> I gave her a dollar, actually. My guest this evening is uh, Charlotte Meadows. She, it is District 74, right? It the is, State House. It is District 74. We um, looking forward to election in just under just under four weeks now. Yeah, August the 27th. Same day as the mayor's race. And that's interesting that there is a special election following the same day as the mayor's race, so that will probably mean a little bit higher Turnout, and that is an interesting thing to consider. You know, the the turnout in June was was pretty low, um, and we do expect a bigger turnout for the August twenty seventh race because, you know, I would hope our city cares enough about our city to go vote for mayor and city council. Um, it's it's the same day. It is a it's and it's in the same location, so anybody that votes in the municipal elections can stay in their same precinct basically, and then. But they have to go vote in a separate line. So they'll be, you know, going to one room and I'll have a table over here and have another set of tables over here. Yeah. There's fifteen precincts in the in the city out of I believe either forty five or forty six that are precincts for the whole city. So fifteen will have the option to vote in the special election. Awesome, awesome. Okay. So um last week we had your opponent on the program. Um, but I, I want to kind of do a little bit of the numbers in the primary. How much of the vote did you garner amongst all the people running? I got 44%. Okay. And Mr. Fritz in, finished second. He finished second. I believe he had about 22%. Okay. Wonderful. Um, um, and then there were four other candidates, so that's what made up the balance of the, of right. the votes. Well, and this, it, it's a, such a tragedy that uh, Dimitri, um, Dimitri Peluzzo's passed all of a sudden. It's right. just, he was... It was very sudden. <laughs> I did not know him well, um, but I've learned as I've kind of felt out this town of... How much people love that guy because of he's just such a good restaurateur and and so many other things he did. And he really was not a politician. He was a public servant. I mean, he had served on our county commission for, uh, he was in his third term, I believe, when he ran for the House District 74 seat and won. Um, You know, one thing, and I'd just like to say this, I had great respect for, for Dimitri. When I was on the school board several times, 
we had issues that came up that I would just say were political in nature. They weren't education related. They were politics. Right. Um, and he was the person I went to um, and said, now, Dimitri, this is what's going on. Help me think through this. Right. Because he was the one that I trusted to give me a, an answer that was well thought out and an understanding of who I was as a, as a Republican. And he understood, you know, we were in the minority on the school board. He was um, actually, by the time he left the county commission, he was on, in the minority on the county commission. So he understood the dynamics of the city and the county and certainly um, the politics of being in a local situation uh, absolutely but we're moving up from local to the state level though with montgomery being the capital it's this weird thing where local montgomery politics definitely overlaps with state politics it really does there's so many of the people and that's one thing when i first started going down at the state ho house when i was on the school board i would go down there and, and really lobby for the state education budget because the local school board is greatly impacted and affected by that so I learned a lot doing that, learned my way around the state house, and realized really quickly everybody that works at the state house lives in Montgomery. Um, and they would say, Thank you for what you're doing for our schools. And, yeah. and I thought, Well, how do they know that? And I thought, Oh, well, I guess they live here and they pay attention to the news at night. So there you go. There you go. And I forgot I need to do the quick disclaimer that you've known me since I was pretty much able to know anything. Uh, you've known me I've since known I was. I've known you a, longer than you've known me, in fact. Yes, so. A baby. I was still wearing um, diapers. You were. I've, I've changed some of those at times. So we have known each other for a long time, and I, I consider you almost like a, a son that I um, yes. and, and did help raise. So, so I'm I'm going to try to play it pretty down the middle. I even understand, though I, and I, I appreciate your effort to be fair. Folks can tell probably though we have a rapport. We've known each other for a while. Um, I want to start off with the same question, general idea. I asked uh, Michael Fritz is. That when you look at the Alabama legislature, it's kind of a three-part question, go where you like. Um, <laughs> where you, you look at the Alabama legislature and you look at the culture and how it's operated over the last few years, if not decade, and uh, also what do you think of that and how it's going on, how it works, and then what do you think you can contribute to that culture and to Alabama politics that maybe is a specialty or can improve the situation? So let's start with what do I think about the legislature. I have mm. been down there a good bit, even going back to the 90s when I was a young married person working in a medical office. Um, I knew that a lot of what affected us in a local doctor's office um, was decisions made by the, by the state house. So I started going down there then and got to know a few people and just got my feet wet but then of course when i was on the school board like i just said i went down there more often so i've learned who the players are um most of the people in our state legislature who are elected and we'll talk about because there's lots of different groups down there there's hmm. the legislators there's the lobbyists and then there's all the employees and the employees are the ones that really do a lot of the work sure um the the administrative assistants and the legislative reference services and and all those different people that play the security people down there are just really great people and so you know when you talk about the state house you kind of have to consider there's all these different types of people the ones who are elected that i've gotten to know pretty well are all very good decent people and for the most part i think really want the best for the people they're representing and want to improve alabama um of course there was a massive 
change in the state legislature in 2010. And I really started getting more involved about that time. And that's probably when some of the, uh, what you might call perks, kind of went out the window mm. because they put some ethics things in place that made it so you can't go and do things that had been being done for decades um and so some people even then i heard him saying it well it's not near as much fun as it used to be um and so we can take that to mean whatever we want to sure i know that there's still plenty of things that happen between tuesday night and wednesday night when the legislature's in town at some of our local restaurants and you know they do enjoy meals in montgomery and and as a montgomery and i'm thankful that they meet here and that we get the benefit of the um corporate largesse of people taking people to dinner and people staying in hotels and you know shopping and doing things like that while they're in montgomery um but it's you know for many people it did turn into more of a okay this is a real job that we have to pay attention to the needs of the state yes and i'm thankful for that because it's not supposed to be something that's just you're sent to montgomery to have a good time and it does seem to me like there have been some issues that have been kind of glossed over and maybe kicked down the, the road that I'm also thankful now that they're beginning to address some of those issues. I mean, it's kind of late coming for some of them. I mean, the prisons are one issue that okay. I think it's late coming, um, but it's going to have to be dealt with. So, all right, you said it was a three-part question. Well, really, it was two parts. Okay, well, what's the second part? Did I cover that yet? Well, no, what do you think you have to offer to Oh, thank this? you. Um, so I do have a lot of experience working with legislators. I was I was an um, education champion from 2013 to 16 and worked as a lobbyist to work on education issues. And that is when the charter school bill passed. And so that's one reason I got involved in that issue. But I've got specific experience working on writing education policy bills, legislation, which right. not many people have had the opportunity to do that. In fact, not many of the legislators actually do that themselves. I mean, that's what Legislative Reference Services does. And so some of them have an idea and they say, this is my idea, let's look at what other states have done, get it, you know, get some input from some organization out there. Um, I've, I've done that. Um, I've done that in specific education policy, but I've also been involved in, with looking at um, medical issues from a national view, as well as from other states as well. So there's a couple of different, and I'm also a small business person. So I've been very involved in paying taxes, writing payroll checks, um, setting up a business two different times now. I think those are things that would bring a lot to the table when you're in the legislature. And uh, if uh, you don't mind me asking, I know, of course, but what kind of small business? Uh, well, you know, Alan's a physician, so we have a medical practice that 1991, we actually chose to come back to Montgomery. He had some opportunities around the Atlanta area, and we looked at the opportunity in Montgomery and said, you know what? There's a great need in, in Montgomery and in Alabama, but Montgomery was my home, so we chose to move back here and to raise our family here. So, you know, there were times in the early days of his practice, you know, we started out with me working at the front desk, him in the back, and a nurse. And then we hired somebody else to help us in the front office because I had two little rug rats running around. Sure. That was Dodge and Daniel. Um, and then eventually, you know, we kept on adding staff, and now he still has a very successful practice just around the corner here. Um, but there were times when he'd come home from work, 
and I would have supper on the table. He'd stay home and you know bathe the kids, and I'd go back to the office and file claims. Mm. And so, I mean, I've actually you know I know what it's like to file Medicaid claims manually. So I know the Medicaid system. I know what it pays for. I know what you know who which people are eligible for Medicaid. Um, I know what it's like to in, to to try to get a Medicare application through the system. That's uh, needs lots of patience because it never goes through right the first time. In fact, I'm sure that there's some law in Congress that says Medicare cannot approve your application right the first time. <laughs> it's probably the same for a child nutrition program application. Um, so anyway, there's just been a lot of background and experience that I have. Um, I'm a numbers person. And numbers make sense to me. Budgets, to me, are somewhat fun to work with. Right. Um, I like to make sure that the cash flow is where it's supposed to be, and I like to make sure that our money coming in exceeds the money that's going out. I mean, that's always kind of the big goal. So I know that I would do well in the state legislature because I understand the two different budgets and understand where the money comes from. The whole earmarking thing, I think, is a problem. Not that that's something we could fix overnight. And I understand how it got that way. And unfortunately, a lot of it is because the state, we, the state, don't really trust the legislature. Sure. So we've passed legislation for decades that says this money is going to go to that fund because we don't trust the legislature to make a wise decision every given year. And the vast majority of funds end up in the Education Trust Fund. Well, that's true. But 93% of the money in the general fund is earmarked. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's, I mean, it's a ridiculous amount of money that the legislature doesn't have any uh, ability to direct. Hmm. And so if there's a need, there's very little ability for the legislature to say, well, we need to meet this need this year. Okay. So, yes, the ETF and the general fund are two different funds. I think we're one of two states in the country that have a, a budget set up like that. Um, it's very odd, but it probably goes back to the really the relationship between the power of the Alabama Education Association, right. that that has not ever been changed in any way. Well, while we're talking about budgets, would you be interested, open, uh, willing to co-sponsor, these sorts of things, on changing the current you know, separated budgets and making it one unified budget? You know, it, it does... You know, it, I'm not ruling anything out, and I certainly wouldn't take that off the table, but before I would do that, I'd want to... I mean, there's some things, I think, that still, even after you know, nine or ten years of Republican conservatives looking at what can we do to keep our costs down and to cut costs and things like that, I still think there's things in the state that we could do to be more efficient. Hmm. Um, Such as? I knew you'd ask me that. Yeah, details, um, well, details. You know, when we're walking and knocking on doors, I talk to people, and I mean, I hear from dip people in different departments of state government, and they say, well, you know, at the end of the year in September, we've got X number of dollars or this many supplies, and, you know, the budget year ends on September 30th, so we all, you know, we go you know, use it all up, or we don't. Wow. I mean, I just hear things like that from people at their front doors, and I'm thinking, you know, if we were running it like a business... We would reward people who have money left in their budget, not take it away from them. Because the, the way it works is if it's ta- if they don't spend all their money, well, you don't need as much money next right. year. Right. Okay. So, you know, maybe it would be smarter to 
let's reward the people in that department or in that agency or whatever it is. I mean, there are things you can do to keep people from feeling like they've got to use up all the money. Now, I, I want to get to um, what will be maybe your interest and the thing you're most passionate about. But beyond your passion, what do you think is the most pressing issue for the state of Alabama? You know, I'm not saying this just because it probably is one of my passions. I mean, there's several pressing issues. I mentioned prisons a few minutes ago. To me, that's about at the crisis point. And so that is probably the most pressing issue because we're going to be paying a lot more money to the federal government if we allow them to come in and take over. Do you think the solution is partly uh, like brand new prisons, these supermax prisons, or is it renovating current properties that we have, current facilities? And that's not something that I've looked at all aspects and every possibility. But my experience with new new buildings and new, um, really new new buildings, so just just say new prisons, is that they would probably be more efficient in the long run if we built new buildings and made sure that they were um, minimum. You know, the secure things that are technologically out there that maybe were not the building, the old infrastructure probably can't handle it. So it would be my impression, without having looked at all the numbers, that building a new prison would more than likely pay for itself more quickly than renovating an old prison. Sure. And I know that, or I believe that most because of my experience with schools. And, you know, we've renovated some schools and we've built some new schools and the new schools tend to start being much more efficient with power bill, Mm -hmm. with security. I mean, all those different issues, you know, you have to look at your annual costs, not just your baseline costs. Right, then like building costs and these sorts of things. I mean, so if you built a new home now and you're looking at a same home 30 years ago versus the same home now, you would expect that the home you build now, while it would cost more, it would save money in the long run. Or you could build it that way. I guess you don't have to. But if you're focused on trying to save, you know, annual dollars, then that's what you would do. And you would expect to be get better savings. So what would be your passion? So my, does it overlap do, with well, most pressing issues? Well, not. <laughs> <laughs> well, but actually it does. Because mm. I, I do think that one of the biggest issues that we have as a state is that our education system does not meet the needs of every child. And we are not, as you know, as citizens and as business owners, we are not getting the product that we need. So we need students who graduate from high school and then go on to college, don't have to take remediation classes, and then can you know become full-functioning adults who are hired by some big company who or some small company who will pay them a good living wage with benefits, health insurance, and then they start to contribute back to the state economy. So it's a cycle that if we you know, have better, better education, then our children will become the future that we want and need for the state of Alabama. Right. So, but with your experience on the local school board... Of course, not every city and large city in Alabama has necessarily issues with their school system. So there are obviously local responsibilities and local issues that are causing some of the problems. But looking from your perspective of having served on the school board here in Montgomery, Montgomery County, how do you see the state's role in maybe causing some problems? What can be changed? 
you know, Joey, there are some really great schools in Alabama, and there's some really good school systems in Alabama. Most of the school systems that are great and have really great schools do have a higher tax base, so I'm going to be very honest sure. and say that. But I don't think it's all about money. I do think it's about the leadership, because if you've got a solid base of support from your community, you can read that to say a higher tax base um, for the school system, then you hire better leaders or you are able to hire better leaders. And the community really has more buy-in. So those are things that they're somewhat intrinsic, but I think it's important that the community support the local schools. Right. Um, what do you think you could do at the state level serving in the state legislature? So the, the state obviously sets policies for every school system and, and, of course, really for the State Department of Education. So I would think that as a state legislator, we could be more focused on setting the policies that are really more student-centered, making sure that every school has the resources for the specific students that they have, and that's not the way it is right now. It's just you hear the money follows the student. That's true, but the money follows the student equally. Hmm. So if you've got a you know, special need in your particular child's life let's just say you have a child with um autism sure okay and that's a pretty prevalent thing that child might get a little bit of extra funding but it's not equitable to what that child needs compared to the next child who doesn't have any kind of special needs so the there'd be some extra funding but it's not enough to make up for what the needs are of the individual child and you know while you can't totally get down to that level in terms of funding i mean it's not like you're going to say well this child has got to have 348 dollars a day and that child needs 352 right. it's not that specific but you can say okay child children in this category are going to need these special you know resources extra time in the classroom extra help from teachers you know whatever it looks like that's not something we're doing in Alabama, and that is something that other states are doing. Okay. Okay. There, and, there's one thing. And it's called equity funding. <laughs> I mean, okay. it's, it's a thing. So, you know, that's something that the legislature has not ever looked at. Okay. Well, so, <laughs> okay. so education, there's, there's so much to this topic, though. I mean, because of it overlaps with how we budget in this state. Um, I mean... That would be a big lift. Uh, certainly not the first thing I sure. would try to focus on if I were in the legislature is, you know, to do equity funding for schools. But it is something that I would want us to start focusing overall on what are the needs of the, the children in the schools. And that can be done. Now, I, I will get to uh, certain issues of recent vintage in the latest session after we hit this break. But I, I want to ask you an, another question that was sort of a... It was almost an inside baseball question, but it's, it's, I think, one the general public who follows politics knows. Okay. Um, and I asked Michael Fritz this. That's why I want to ask you this. Uh, there, it seems to be, and we'll get to the gas tax in a second after the break, like I said. It seems to be if something is done, whether you think it's necessary or not, that is, you know, it's a bitter pill to swallow for a lot of people in the population. 
that legislators will then follow up what we call the red meat. Let's chum the water <laughs> for our constituents. Things, like, you know, God and guns and abortion, all these bills. Pro-life, you know. Yeah. Let's teach the Bible. <laughs> I mean, do you, what do you think of this? It's almost like a, a tried and true practice. And me and my good friend Southern Wood Clay, uh, we joke about it all the time. It's like, oh, they did something unpopular. Here come the, the gun bills and the pro-life bills and all this stuff that really aren't going to change much. I mean... Uh, what do you think of this essentially symbolic legislation? You know, Joey, it's interesting you bring that up. Um, a, a good friend of mine who's a legislator actually carried the pro-life bill. Yeah. And yeah. she also carried a, a wine bill this year. So she's very diverse and been balanced <laughs> in her, um, it's Terry Collins with the yes. state education policy. Um, many people know that I'm, I'm friends with Terry and have been for, for a number of years. But anyway... I'm really thinking, I'm not totally sure that she carried the pro-life bill because of the gas tax. I really don't think it was correlated. Fair enough. But it does seem like that is what happens. Right. Um, so, it's interesting that It's you, always to a specific bill, and, well, and but you know, it, it but does uh, seem that way. Did we have any real gun bills this year? I don't know that we really had a whole I know lot of we gun had, rights. I, I know we had the baiting bill change that's been trying yep, to get for passed for hunting. a while with hunting, um, which, I mean, yeah, because nobody was baiting before. Sure. <laughs> we just legalized it. That's fine. You know, that's one thing. I'll just say this, then we can go to the break. I really oppose any bill that is brought up just... To fill somebody's need to have a bill with their name on it or something. Because okay. I think less government is the best government. And I really don't think we should be paying our legislators to be in Montgomery for the 30 days that they're there, over 105 days, to pass legislation that's not needed and not necessary and doesn't solve a problem that already exists. So right. that's just a personal thing that I... Um, I might vote no on anything. Just if it didn't make sense that to even have it brought up, I would be opposed to having it brought up. Absolutely. Now, again, folks, we're talking to Charlotte Meadows. She is running for District 74 State House. Uh, the election, the special election, of course, uh, is on the same day as the mayor's race, August 27th. Right. And uh, if folks want to reach out, learn more about your campaign, how can they do that? We have a real active Facebook page and a website. The Facebook page is uh, Meadows for District 74. And the website is charlottemeadows.org. So well, that's kind of easy to find. See, Charlotte, this is, I mean, you know me. I'm not i am not trying to stick it to anybody here. And this isn't my style of interview. I might if it was a national politician. but Well, I can't uh, wait till you get to be a national radio personality. Oh, well, thank you for that. I'm looking forward to that day. I'll, I'll tune in on a regular basis. Well, there's a good thing there's a ceiling in this room about to float off of my <laughs> head growing up. Joey, you've got great future. <laughs> Joey Clark.
Well, welcome back, folks. Listen to the Joey Clark Radio Hour again, my guest this evening. Compared to the other shows this week, Charlotte, Charlotte Meadows is my guest. Uh, compared to the other shows this week, this is much more subdued and relaxed. Really? And I'm, I'm enjoyed my shows all week this week, but uh, this is a so little. Was there some swinging going on in here, or what? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I get, I get going. I'm, I'm very frustrated. You know, we've been talking about Alabama's state budget. I get very frustrated with the idea. Rand Paul said it himself, Senator from Kentucky. Uh, Tea Party's dead. I mean, this recent federal budget that goes for two years. Oh, it's just uh, it drives me nuts. Yeah, the the inconsistency because people talk a big game when they're running against somebody about the debt and deficit. But once you're in power, you're not going to cut the military. You're not going to cut entitlements. It's sort of like, well, and we don't have to yet. So we haven't, we haven't completely fallen over the cliff, and the you know the the creditors haven't completely stopped you know allowing yeah. us to borrow. Well, money the from. analogy I give when people say it's all right uh, is, well, I've been drinking this fifth of whiskey and driving cross country for you know ten hours now, <laughs> and I haven't crashed yet. What's the problem? <laughs> like okay, yeah, well, good luck in the eleventh hour. Watch it. Yeah. yeah, good luck. Oh, and I've been running my credit card up too at the same time. And you know, Joey, that's one of the things that frustrates me as a as a Republican is you see the Republicans and the Democrats, and it doesn't seem to be a whole lot of difference between them when it comes to these types of issues. Right. I mean, yeah, they can say, well, you know, I support, you know, I voted for Kavanaugh, or I I voted for the. You know, life bill or the heartbeat bill or whatever's you know whatever they're calling it in Washington these days. But when it comes down to the real meat, the big issues. Yeah, I mean, to me, the the budget and you know our fiscal solvency as a nation and as a state and for that matter as a, any individual. I mean, that's what being conservative is really all about: is fiscal. Uh, responsibility. It should be. And anyway. Well, and sometimes that means tough decisions. I, I kind of want to do the, the two big things that got news locally. Number one, the gas tax. Uh, what did you think of the policy itself, but also maybe how it was sold to the public? Because sitting from this humble perch here on, on News Talk, there are a lot of people not happy with this increase. You know, there's a lot of people not happy with increase. So let's talk about the policy itself. I And I'm not going to go back on something I said back in March before I decided to run for this office. I was supporting the policy because I looked at the need for us to fix our roads and bridges. And I have children that travel on those roads and bridges quite a bit, as do I. And so, honestly, I was... And, and that's why I can't go back on it. It's on my Facebook page. I guess I could go and edit and delete. But, you know, way back in March, I posted something that came from Alabama. I, I believe it was Alabama Policy Institute saying, you know, this makes a lot of sense. And it makes sense to me that you know, we could afford a 10 cent gas tax over right. the next several years. The thing about how it was sold to the public I probably had some inside views on that or inside information because I'd heard uh, Claude Chambliss talk about it at our local Republican meetings, uh, not even just 
a few weeks or months before the thing before the announcement of the, about a special session but back last year i mean and he was on a state committee and i don't remember the name of it so i won't call it but that was looking at some of these issues and so i would heard him talk publicly about what some of the things they were doing and the need for some of these issues so it didn't seem to me hmm. like it was shoved down the throats of anybody sure. and the legislators to me that's their job is to start to learn about the the issues that are facing the state as soon as they're elected, if not before. Well, and I, I'll so, echo some of the things I've heard from folks is that it's for roads and bridges, and I agree. It should be for roads and bridges, uh, but then why are we spending all this money to dredge to the... I was going to say, but it's also well, the Port of Mobile was included. Um, so that's, I mean, and it was included because that's a big part of the infrastructure of our right. state to get business into this, you know, to get goods and service, goods, commerce into the state of Alabama. So, so let me compare this. The legislature meets for 30 days over 105 days. And they could come up with, say in the House, they may have 500 pieces of legislation. So divide 500 into 30 days, and that's a lot of pieces of legislation to look at that might come through the one or two or three or possibly four committees that you're on. Mm. You know, when they are in session on Tuesdays and Thursdays, they sometimes have, you know, 20 to 50 bills on a given day. In this special session, they had five days, and I think it was three bills that were combined. I mean, it was total of three bills, but the same focus was on the gas tax. And so you're telling me that you didn't have time to read those three bills in five days when you expect to read hundreds of bills throughout 30 days? Right. That's not reasonable. Right. And that's not a good argument for why you couldn't vote for it. Now, if you wanted to vote against it because you're just opposed to a tax or opposed to this tax, that's fine. But don't say that you didn't have time to look at it or that the leadership didn't bring it to you or that you didn't understand it. Because that's your job is to understand what the bill is about. And honestly, they knew it was coming. I mean, Clyde Chambliss had told me it was coming, told our group, our Republican club it was coming. So... You know, right. those are weak arguments. Fair enough, fair enough. But I, I'm glad you brought this up. How do you, on, if you're in the legislature, deal with this idea? Because you'll be more familiar, of course, with the bills that you saw in committee. But how do you deal with, you know, this bill and that bill and the other from all sorts of different committees that are being pushed by leadership, maybe, and we got to get this done? Uh, how do you organize your time to get this done and read them all? I mean, I do think it's, it's called organization. I mean, clearly you know which bills are coming before your committee, and you know the the issues that are on your committee coming up, you know, at least usually the week before, if not several days before. So, and you, if it's a controversial issue, somebody's usually going to call a public hearing. So that usually gives you some more time plus more input from different people. Um when it comes down to actual voting in the on the floor, if it's a bill that came from another committee, what I would do is look and see who's sponsoring the bill. Look and see, typically if it's a controversial issue, you would have had somebody in your office from some association or some group of you know, advocates around the state saying, I'm opposed to this or I'm supportive of this. And that's one thing as a legislature I would be very open have an open door policy okay listen to you know the people as they come through the door um i've told the different groups of people that i've met with i am open to listen to your issue i want to try to understand it there's some things i'm going to be more interested in supporting and maybe carrying legislation on um i tell you one of the groups i met with 
several weeks ago was the Montgomery Home Builders. And they explained to me some of the regulations that they have to deal with, which were not surprising to me. But honestly, those regulations cost us an extra 30% on homes, on new homes. So you're thinking, I mean, are you ever going to buy a home? Probably. In what price range? Let's say 150000 Sure. Yeah, something okay. like that. So figure 30% of that, $45,000, goes to pay regulations that might not all be necessary. Right. So you could buy a $105,000 home and get the same home. Okay. Right. You see, see what, what I'm saying? saying? I do, yeah. So those are the types of things that I believe would bring value to my constituency if I were to work on reducing regulations of some type. Um, and that's something that, you know, those bills don't come up usually the first day of the session. So you'd have basically three months, 105 days from beginning to end. And I would want to make to work with the, and I've asked some of the legislators when they came to our Republican Club, what do you do to work with your Senate counterparts? And to me, that's something that's really critical, is for the House members to work with the Senate members so that we actually get things done. And you would be working with Senator Barfoot? It'd be Senator Barfoot, yes. Um, Will's a good guy. Will's a great guy. I mean, and obviously you have to work with other 34, too. Sure. But, I mean, that would be something that I would want to have a, a good working relationship with with our local senator to try to say, now, Will, this is something that we're going to work hard to get passed in the House. I want you to be working hard to get it passed in the Senate so we accomplish something. Um, you know, there's plenty of things that get done in the House and they don't pass the Senate. There's some things that get done in the Senate, never get to the House. You know, to me, that's... A, another real waste of time, and that's something that I would you know really want to try to help make sure that it happens. No, there. I was going to follow up the next big thing. I mean, it was international news. Was uh, your friend uh, Terry Collins' bill, the pro-life bill? Yes, um, and it, it, it pulled no bunches. Um, what did you think of, of that bill and the process? Well, again, I had you know background information on it from the beginning, and was I'm very strongly pro-life. Yes, um, you know I've you know I, I personally believe that the decrease in our culture is because of abortion and the fact that for 40 years we've had abortion on demand so without thinking we can go and end a life and that has um, lulled the mind into thinking that life is not valuable and so now people go and shoot up and I mean shoot up the streets or you know shoot guns into the air on the 4th of July <laughs> and never think about the the repercussions or the facts that you know that bullet could end up somewhere so anyway go back to the pro life bill you know the bill was specifically designed to be taken to the supreme court and to challenge the Roe versus Wade so all any of the amendments that came out she was adamant and I was standing beside her literally <laughs> um and and working with her pretty closely throughout the session to make sure that we worked with other people to say, no, we can't accept any amendments. Because if we have an amendment, then it takes away the the, the straight line to the Supreme Court to deal with the Roe versus Wade. And the facts are, 40 years ago, 1972, was it 45? I guess it was 1972. However many years ago that mm -hmm. was. Well, wait a second. I was born in 62, so 50, 45 years ago. Yeah. There were not the medical diagnosis, 
training that we have now, we didn't. I mean, when I was pregnant with my children, we had a sonogram, but there was no 3D sonogram. We couldn't see the eye color of the baby. I mean, we couldn't take pictures. We didn't. We really did not. And the Supreme Court certainly did not have the full grasp that that was a life starting it with a heartbeat at somewhere between six to 12 weeks. Now, let me, you know, the next thing people want to talk about is what about rape and incest? Yeah. And those are some incredibly devastating things that can happen. Typically, if you're raped, you know that you've been raped. And there's a pill that you can take up to 10 days. Right. And so I would hope that people who know they've been raped um, would do something about it to make sure they prevent a pregnancy. Now, incest is something in a family situation that most likely the, the pill, the RU46, would not be available to somebody's to a child who's been raped by a relative right. because the relative probably wouldn't allow it. And if you're a child, you can't go to the drugstore and get your own RU46 pills. So that's that's a situation that is really tragic. But the actual law, the way it was written, does allow for the mental health of the mother. And if the mother hmm. has been raped or has been raped by a family member and their mental health is so bad that they are at risk, then the law actually allows for that mother to have an abortion. Okay. So that, to me, gives some leeway to the people who oppose the bill because it doesn't include rape and incest. Okay. Um, well, and, it, and I was going to ask, who are you looking, who do you know already in the legislature that uh, you w- would work with because you have a, a rapport, a, a relationship with, I mean, obviously, Terry Collins. Right. Um, I mean, I know all the legislators from this area, although, no, I, should, I take that back. I know Kirk Hatcher from years ago. I have met Tashina Morris, um, have not really gotten to know her that well. Um, I do know most of the the females in the in the state house. April Weaver, um, Becky Norgren. Um, let's see who are the other females. There's not that many of them anymore. Um, in fact, there's never been that many, which is another reason why I think I would be a good addition because mm-hmm. I think women tend to think about things in a different way, sure. and maybe in a little bit more more logical way without having to get credit for something. I mean, that's one thing. Most women don't have don't have the ego that men have. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. You're opening up a can of worms there. That's a whole other show. Well... I see your point, though, but, actually. I mean, men thrive off of having people respect them for their work. Yes. And, you know, that's... Women <laughs> thrive off of people loving them. And so it's just a difference. You know, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. Fair enough. Read the book. Anyway, um, <laughs> where were we going? So there's... Reed Ingram has, has been a longtime friend of mine. Um, Mike Holmes is actually somebody I respect a lot. Yes. Uh, when Mike was running the first time, it was right after I'd lost the 2013 election. We sat down and talked, and I gave him the benefit of my knowledge about how to lose graciously. Um, so Mike and I have been friends ever since then, and I really um, respect what he tries to do. There's quite a few in the um, Birmingham and Coleman area that I know pretty well. 
Um, I don't want to start calling names. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this. If you are in the legislature, if you do win on August the 27th, uh, how will you communicate with your constituents? You already mentioned an open-door policy to any advocate, people like that. But, it, you know, things like uh, the gas tax, even if folks aren't going to Republican club meetings, these sorts of things, how do you sort of get the word out generally? What's your strategy there? I mean, I think it's really a, a number of ways that are important. Social media is a big thing. Of course, I use a lot of Facebook, but, you know, younger people use Instagram. Mm -hmm. So I would have to get an Instagram page. I mean, I have an Instagram account. I don't really use it that much. Um, Twitter is something else. I have a Twitter account. I only ever... I only ever tweet, retweet. I don't usually tweet. Sure, it's probably but I, wise. But I could learn how to tweet myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, so those are some good social media things. But I think the the main thing is that I'm very active in the community. Yeah. I've been involved in. I mean, I've lived here for most of my all of my adult life and most of my childhood. Um, I know a lot of people. Um, I'm involved in in our church, uh, in a Rotary Club, where I you know see people every day. I've got a lot of friends in the area, and I would expect them to give me their opinions. Um, but I would also want to get out and attend neighborhood meetings as much as possible. Um, whatever other you know Rotary clubs, Lion Club, you know, whatever mm -hmm. things like that. I could either either attend and listen to opinions. Or even be invited to speak at if I was, you know, being a representative. No, um, I, I want to close. We only have about five minutes left. Um, with I'm not an expert in state politics. I'm aware. I mean, I work here and talk radio. Have for, you're probably more aware than most thirty year olds. Well, fair enough, but uh, not close. To, Mr. Dismuke is doing quite a job. I have to hand it to that guy. Yeah. Yes, but he's elected. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he should be. Yes. Um, what do you, but bringing it to where I, what I went to school with, I've been passionate about it since before college and definitely after, and supplemented it like you know accordingly is just kind of a general question. What do you see as the role of state government in particular, the body you're trying to join? You know, the role of the legislature is is primarily to approve the two budgets and so i think the legislature and really state government as a whole is to improve the lives of our citizens and you know i think the governor should be focused on that that includes bringing you know new business to this to the area keeping our economy strong um like we mentioned earlier i think education is a big part of that keeping crime as low as possible across the state but also in my role i would want to work as closely as possible with our local local elected officials to decrease crime, and that's becoming a bigger problem every day up in, in District 74, which is up and down the Atlanta Highway. Um, and I got some ideas on how to work with the new mayor and the new city council on those things. Um, I think the role of government should be smaller, but focused on improving and making the lives of our citizens as, as good as possible. Okay, okay. Um now, I, I have to bring this up, and I don't expect you to say yes, because I somewhat know your ideas. I, and the reason I bring it up is I actually have people uh, yeah, messaging me about it. Um, there was the debate, I'm not even sure it passed, because I, I figured it wouldn't, over what I would call medical cannabis. Um, CBD is now all the rage. doesn't have any psychoactive, really, element to it. Joey, I appreciate you bringing that up, because I think that came up maybe the last time I was mm -hmm. here and I didn't really I didn't have as full an understanding then as I do now there's really no such thing as medical marijuana mm -hmm. there's marijuana for medical use okay and just like any other drug marijuana needs to go through the same FDA 
research trials that every other drug has gone through. We know that CBD oil in certain quantities works for seizures. Right. I mean, we've already approved Cauley's Law and it's going through the UAB health system and, and I'm fully supportive of that. I fully agree that if marijuana is an answer to problems like pain, then if it's researched so that it doesn't show that it presents other problems, then that should be something that we vote to make legal for medical for medical use. My concern is that medical or that med- marijuana has been shown to start to fry the brain in, in without any better words sure. if used at young ages. Right. Oh, and yeah. so if you start using marijuana at 15 to 20, then I would be very concerned that by age 30 to 50, your brain would be fried. Especially every, well, and I'll, I'll say this, as somebody who, I mean, full bore supports recreational uh, marijuana cannabis, um, I know Alabama's not there yet. I'm, I think th- there has been a change in opinion, though, across the nation, and it, I've seen it with even folks of all generations, all types here in Alabama. Um, I would say to somebody, I would say to somebody that, and the science shows, once you hit 25, you have more full brain development. Exactly. If, but if you're a young person, especially a teenager, you probably don't want to do this stuff. Well, there's probably a reason why we don't allow drinking right. until age 21. I mean, I know some states are younger, but I mean, if you know young people and you've been around them as much as I have, you know that once they reach a certain age, and for some young people it's you know the age might be 30 and some of them it might be 22 okay so there's a range in there obviously depending on each person but at some point the brain really is fully developed and that's at that point then it's not going to be messed up with i'm, I'm thinking of a better word but yeah. i mean you're not going to screw up your brain <laughs> but right. by doing something that you know at a younger age it's really going to matter and at an older age it's really not going to matter so i mean I'm a I'm really a libertarian on these issues because okay. if you have a brain that's fully developed, I don't have any problem with you doing just about anything well, you want to do. If you get in the legislature, <laughs> I definitely am bringing that up with you again. Okay. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, and we're out of time. Thank Joey, you, it's been a great pleasure. CharlotteMeadows.org Facebook page is Meadows for District 74. I appreciate your vote on August 27th. If you're not going to be in town, vote absentee. Well, and thank you, Charlotte, for being here. Uh, Best of luck. And, well, tomorrow, folks, I'm not only hosting the Joey Clark Radio Hour available, where podcasts are available everywhere. Um, I'm also hosting Happy Hour. Are you really? So it's going to be four hours. Three to seven. Wow. Four hours.